0: Welcome to the Reminger Report podcast on emerging technologies. Reminger Co. LPA is a full-service law firm with over 150 lawyers spread across 14 offices and serving states throughout the Midwest. My name is Zach Pyers, and I'm a partner in Reminger's Columbus, Ohio office. And I'm Kenton Steele, an associate in Reminger's Columbus office. This podcast on emerging technologies will examine how changes in technology and business models affect our daily lives, and how the law is adapting to respond to these changes. Thank you for joining us for this special edition of the Reminger Report podcast. I'm excited for two reasons. One, um, we have a really special guest on today's episode, Leila Banajamali, who is the CEO and co-founder of Symbium. Um, which is a really exciting new platform, which I'm excited to be talking about. The second reason is this is the first time we are actually recording both for audio uh, and for video. So Layla has graciously agreed to come on um, and be our guinea pig um, and try this um, experiment with us. So um, thank you, Layla, for being here. Um, As we get started. Thanks for
1: having me, Zach. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Uh, As we get started, and we kind of, if you would, tell us what Symbium is. uh, What does it do? um, Just for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with it.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited about uh, being on on your podcast. So basically, our company Symbium launched out of um, Stanford University, where I met my co-founders. I was doing a, a Fellowship there. um, And uh, my co founders were at the computer science department, AI lab, and they were developing this really cool technology. And the technology allows us to build certain types of web applications. And we call those web applications comp law or computational law applications. And so uh, what that means is basically the laws and regulations are built right into those web applications in the same way that, uh, for example, TurboTax, which is also a comp law application has uh, the IRS tax code built right into it. So you don't have to manually reference the IRS tax code to understand what your tax obligations are. We do the same thing essentially with the planning codes and zoning codes and large data sets and sort of um, any kind of complex regulation or policy. It makes it easier for the public to navigate. So using our Complot technology uh, available at Symbium.com, Anyone should be able to perform a structured, complex search and get answers about what they can do on their properties, not just links and documents, which is what you would get if you uh, use Google. So that's a little bit of background on, on Symbian.
0: Now, tell us a little bit about yourself and your personal background. So I know that you're actually a lawyer by training. Um, so how did you make this transition? um how did you kind of make this transition? I guess um, from lawyer to symbium?
1: You know, it's funny. Like on paper, I've made the transition, but uh, on a day to day basis, I'm using my uh, legal experience. You know, almost all the time. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you can fully shake being a lawyer, uh, but I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, you know, I, I enjoyed being a lawyer. I was representing, you know, hundreds of companies, primarily in the tech space. Uh, I did a lot of Salesforce licensing deals. Uh, but I'm at heart a passionate explorer. I commit myself a thousand percent to a particular goal. In some cases, I've had many goals at the same time. You know, I've been an enterprise tech licensing lawyer uh, on one hand, an investor on the other hand, a musician, a tennis player. A startup founder, you know, and as a lawyer, I just became interested, you know, in eliminating redundancies in the public's experience of the law. That work led me to um, launch a company called Startup Documents, which streamlined the incorporation process for accelerated growth tech companies and small businesses as well, and uh, a myriad of documents that they would need in order to kind of like get off the ground. And uh, pissed off a lot of lawyers in the process when I did that. But I did catch the attention of some folks at Stanford at Codex, uh, which, you know, this, this group is uh, sort of at the intersection of the computer science and the law school um, schools. And so started inviting me to some of their meetings. I applied for a pretty competitive fellowship and I was selected that year. But, you know, that's kind of where I met my co-founders to share the same kinds of ideas and ideals. How can we make the laws and regulations that everyone is subject to much more accessible and easy to understand and navigate at the time you need it, not just after the fact when you've already gotten yourself into trouble. I know you, you know what I'm talking about because you are a litigator. I am. And so you, you have seen this, you know, how many times people, well, I didn't know, or, well, I thought we were doing everything right. or I'm sure we did everything right. But you know, if we had the opportunity to understand it in advance, anyone to understand not just what am I required to do, but what am I allowed to do? What are all of the feasibility uh, options in front of me before I make that informed decision? That's the the work of, uh, of Symbian.
0: You know, it's interesting because one of the terms that you used um – And I caught and I I jotted down is accessibility, right? And so I know at least because we talked about this, you know, you mentioned it. I'm a litigator by trade. I mean, most of what I do is litigation based and litigation focused. And one of the terms or one of the phrases that we use a lot is access to justice, right? Talking about how, at least with the court system, how do we get people to access to justice, I think from a regulatory – you know, from what I hear you as you're talking about Symbium, I think you – in my head, I'm thinking about you providing that to people in a – from a regulatory or a statutory perspective by providing – people making it accessible to people um, similar to the way we try to make the courts accessible. Um, because you're right. Some of these code systems, especially building and zoning regulations and codes – they can be complicated and multi layered for that matter.
1: That's correct. Yeah. And, you know, uh, much of what's out there is non discretionary in nature. So, you know, for lawyers listening that are saying, well, you know, my job can't be replaced by machines and AI and all that stuff. Uh, it's true, it can't be fully replaced. And that's not the goal of these companies like ours, it's not to replace you in your job. The idea is to make these uh, regulations, especially in particularly the non-discretionary ones, where if X, then Y, more accessible to the public. And why shouldn't we? You know, why should that be something that is um, only held by a few who are charging hundreds of dollars an hour, thousands of dollars, in order to um, convey that, you know, to perform that analysis? It doesn't need to be that way. And you know, the development of these new types of technologies and systems actually results in the development and creation of new types of jobs. And so when I talk to law students at law schools, one of the things that I say is, um, you know, interestingly enough, I get back uh, invited back to my own law school every year to give a talk to um, law, law students, even though I was like the worst law student in law school. <laughs> I had failed some classes that I was I was a terrible student uh, because I had... Interests that are much more exciting to me outside of law school that I was spending my time on. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, in spite of that, I still get invited every year to speak to them. And I really try and drive home the point that you should be thinking like technologists, how do we streamline these things? How can we incorporate technology to make the experience better for the ultimate consumer of our services, which is the public? It's not about... Your job and your you know how much money you can make from a transaction, but in the end at the end of the day, the user experience exercise, which this is serving is for our clients for our customers
0: right right I mean and I think the other thing too, right is that when you're able to free up some of the as you as you talked about the non discretionary stuff, it, what happens is is that the work that ends up with the lawyers becomes the more complicated work. It becomes the more sophisticated work, and I mean, and, and frankly, I think it, at least in my humble opinion, makes my job more interesting. Um, so I I get it though. I mean, I, I know that, that we're not the only industry, but I think a lot of industries, for whatever it is, there's a certain level of protectionism. To the industries, um, and I think that's a little bit of human nature. So I understand the resistance, but um, but I think it's interesting, right? The, especially as you guys approach this from a non-discretionary code or regulation perspective, it I think it helps to make some sense. Now, uh, right? You mentioned that you've been working in the tech space now uh, in a variety of capacities. Um, tell us a little bit of your time as a founder of was it Bedrock tell us kind of what that was and, and kind of maybe how that played into your overall progression and story
1: yeah so uh, I started a, a law firm called bedrock and um, it was in San Francisco I started actually only a few companies in the tech space uh, but um, this was the, the idea was just basically to represent tech companies Um And, uh, you know, on a transactional basis, I was negotiating a lot of agreements with tech companies and, you know, uh, other companies that were licensed in their technologies and that sort of thing. Uh, So that was, you know, pretty much the long and short of it. Um, You know, the the common thread in all of the work that I've done, though, is basically this mission of sort of creating better public experiences from really complex regulatory processes. But Bedrock was just a law firm that I had started in San Francisco. Uh, pretty much wound it up so that I could focus on Symbium.
0: Now, I, I understand that you're at, as I'm playing through the timeline in my head, you're at, you're at Stanford, you're on the fellowship. Um, as you're in this fellowship, how did you come up with the idea? I mean, where, where does this, I guess, where did Symbium spring from? Was there an aha moment or how did it come about?
1: Yeah, there was. So in fact, uh, with regards to the technology, while we were at Stanford, we had a big breakthrough with it there. Um, and we realized that it's really time to commercialize it now. But, uh, what happened was we identified a major deficiency in the public's experience of government relationships, you know, government regulations, uh, the relationships between the public and the government. And, um, government being the largest industry on the planet and the hardest one to crack. And, you know, you can look at all these large players in the industry, Salesforce and SAP and Microsoft. It's AWS is a great example that none of them have been able to really, really crack government in the way that they have other industries, other verticals. And so, um, you know, uh, with regards to government, the planning and housing space being the center of every government's activities, planning, you know, where can you build a house? Where can I open a business? What taxes apply? We decided to kind of focus there, sort of like find a niche within a niche. And the niche we found was accessory dwelling units. Since housing has been such a hot topic, a crisis topic, we started this exploration of how we might contribute to the conversation. And we identified a new statewide law in California that allows every homeowner to build two additional units, or what we call accessory dwelling units, it's just an additional unit, a second unit on your property. It could be a studio shed in the backyard. It could be a conversion of your garage into a unit that you could then rent out you know, for additional income, or maybe house um, an elderly relative uh, you know, for aging in place. And we identified this law statewide, uh, and we decided to create a web application that uh, was sort of like a Google Maps for planning so that anyone could visualize their property with an ADU on it and get turn-by-turn directions on what could actually be built and how to build it. And so we kind of did this just as a proof of concept to test, Do, does the public actually like interacting with the regulations in this way? And we kind of put it out there and we realized, yes, in fact, the response was overwhelmingly yes. And we partnered, in fact, with cities. We sold the ability uh, for cities to basically incorporate their regulations in our platform. We would do it for them and then maintain that uh, for them as well. And for that to become a public resource, people could actually use it as a resource to understand whether I can build an ADU on my property. So that's kind of how it started.
0: That's kind of a wild story. I mean, it. I know. I mean, especially because you're based and located in California. I mean, I don't. You you have to be living under a rock to know or not know that there's kind of a housing shortage in California. Um, and I know just from reading the news, I, I've watched the progression in some of the laws about the ADUs um, to help to fill this need or gap in the housing market, especially in California. But it, it never would have occurred to me to kind of couple this need with an application where people could actually be seeing what it looked like and how it might fit on their individual properties and making sure that they're complying with their city's code. So that's a really interesting concept, not only of just meeting a consumer's need from a a market standpoint, but really meeting a a human need uh, for housing, for shelter. That will conclude the first portion of our interview with Layla Benamajamali, a CEO and co-founder of Symbian. Join us back for the second part of her interview coming up next week.